Well, hello and welcome again to our series, Life-Changing Lessons from the Parable. And uh, today we're looking at a particular parable that Jesus told, which was recorded by uh, Luke in chapter 12 of Luke's Gospel, and it's called the Parable of the Rich Fool. And it's a parable about greed and money. And it often feels awkward to talk about money, but Jesus talked a lot about money. And in fact, several of the Ten Commandments uh, concern money. So I guess that God knew that money would be an important and a difficult subject for us. I, I, so many things that are important to us can be both a blessing and a curse. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be led by Jesus uh, to consider uh, this parable of the rich fool that was just read for us. Although I have actually written a modern day parable of the rich fool. So uh, not as good as Jesus's version, of course, and a bit more verbose. But here we go. Uh, when in their late 20s, after both had completed uni and were just starting their careers, Donna and David got married. After two years of renting, they bought their first house. It was the early 90s and interest rates were running at about 11%. So the best that they could manage was a, a pretty run-down, unrenovated California bungalow out in the suburbs. Uh, they were helped a bit with the deposit by one of their parents. The first few years were tough until the interest rates dropped and the prices of houses, the value of houses, started to rise. It didn't mean much to them, though, as they, they couldn't imagine moving anywhere else, and they started focusing on uh, building a family. A further five years down the track, with two, uh, two toddlers and a cocker spaniel in tow, they were surprised one Sunday afternoon as they read their paper, there was a lift-out section called, What is Your House Worth? And they were amazed at how much their house had risen in value. It had almost tripled in value since they first bought it. Their parents were so proud of them and they sat around on the rear deck with a Chardonnay one Saturday afternoon talking about what to do with their newly discovered good fortune. Their parents said that they'd be crazy to sell because, you know, the whole market was riding very high at the time. Prices were crazy high all over town. Why don't they renovate instead, they suggested. The house certainly needed a facelift. So they set about renovating their little bungalow and it became quite a large and a modern home. And when friends came over, they complimented them on how what a great renovation they'd managed. Anyway, the following year, their youngest boy started school at the nearby church school. The fees, of course, were shocking, but it seemed like the best choice. And two years later, his younger brother followed. Although salaries continued to rise for both David and Donna, there never seemed to be enough money to go around, what with the, the mortgage, of course, and then, you know, there were the kids' school fees and the holidays and the car lease and the super, you know, it all just seemed to use up everything that they had. But then shortly after his 45th birthday, when he'd been with his current firm for six years, David was offered a partnership and a significant salary rise. It took Donna about two hours with a glass of Shiraz, again on the back deck, to calculate uh, where in, in her mind she thought the money should go. It was about time they renovated the kitchen again. Do it properly this time. And uh, she wondered, after years of struggling to both look after the kids and to work, maybe she could sort of pull back and work part-time. Uh, maybe even they could think about a little shack down on the coast somewhere, a holiday house. 
About two years after that, uh, when they were browsing online for a new lounge for the beach house, David reflected on how far they had come since those uni days, fresh out of uni when they started looking for a home. Life felt sweet indeed, and indeed he wondered if it could at all get better. But he didn't wonder for long, because the next morning, as he was riding his bike around the park, a black utility came round a corner too fast and hit his bike, flipping it into the air. Later, Donna would blame the paramedics for taking so long to arrive. If they'd got there sooner, he might have had some hope of recovery. Instead, he never recovered from his injuries and they turned off the life support machine about a week later. A hospital chaplain came by to ask if he could pray for David before the machines were turned off. What on earth for, Donna mumbled numbly and dismissed him out of hand. Well, that's the way it goes for those who focus too much on looking after themselves without being rich towards God. I wonder what you thought of my modern take on Jesus's parable and what a, you know, quite shocking parable it is to read. Watch out, Jesus said. Don't be a fool when it comes to money. Life does not consist in the abundance of our possessions. We are not to define ourselves by our possessions, by our bank balance, or by our real estate, by the bungalows we've bought and so on. Now, of course, we know all of this. You know, we have all of these sayings. Money isn't everything. Money can't buy you love. You can't take it with you. Uh, the most important things in this world can't be bought. You know, we know those truths. We know them. But... We live and breathe in a global economy in which we all have to find our place. We swim in an ocean where, in our economy where the tides are determined by our levels of consumption and we are therefore often influenced, marketed to, advertised to, to consume, to buy, to own, to have. We live and breathe in a world that venerates fame and wealth, the lifestyles of the rich and famous, uh, the lifestyles that go with those things. We feel the pressure to keep up with the Joneses. We live in economies that are led um, that are that are led by governments that say, you know, higher incomes will lead to better futures for all of us. Economic growth will lead to better lives for all of us. Now, don't hear me criticising our government, who I think have done such an amazing, amazing job during this coronavirus. But we live in a very capitalistic society or culture worldwide. And so even though intellectually most of us could easily agree that money isn't the most important thing, Yet, we all find ourselves tempted to make it more important than it is. And we act as if it is. Uh, we and when we act as if it is, we fall into the same trap as this fellow in Jesus' story or in my story. You know, like the rich fool, we greedily store away wealth. We save it for a rainy day. We save it because we don't know how long we're going to live for. We don't know how long we're going to need it, so we better keep as much of it as we can. Uh, we, we keep it because, after all, we deserve it, the advertising tells us. And we cultivate lives that are defined by our wealth. 
we define our lives by our wealth. When we say things like, oh, this is my friend Mary and she's a doctor or, or he's a lawyer or whatever it is. When we ask questions like, where do you live or what school do you, did you go to or what school are your kids at or what, did, what do your kids do? Uh, what did you do for the holidays? You know, all of those questions may reflect common interest, curiosity, but often often the answer to those questions leads us to sort of peg someone in a particular hole, a particular rung on the ladder, economic ladder. Um, those questions, the answers to them, really define people by wealth rather than anything else. Clive Hamilton, uh, the Australian thinker, economist and writer, who has written several books, um, one of them, Growth Fetish, I think he wrote in about 2003, um, and another one, uh, Affluenza, sorry, I'll just show you where you can see it, Affluenza, uh, which I think he wrote in about 2005 with Richard Dennis. Um, affluenza is very interesting and he defines Affluenza um, in this way. He says it's a noun and it's the bloated, sluggish and unfulfilled feeling that results from efforts to keep up with the Joneses. Uh, second, uh, an epidemic of stress, overwork, waste and indebtedness caused by the dogged pursuit of the Australian dream. Three, an unsustainable addiction to economic growth. Uh, well, that's affluenza. He says we've all got it um, and um, it seems very apt for our society. And In his book, he says that 37%, and I'm surprised it's not higher, 37% of our population uh, think that owning a second car is a necessity, um, as is things like plasma TVs, what we call smart TVs this day, these days, as is air conditioning or a second bathroom, uh, health insurance and uh, private schools for our children. You know, so many of us see those things as necessities because, he says, we're suffering from affluenza. Another writer, Sharon Bedder, has written about, um, written about the ways in which our economies are so driven um, by, by money that we are constantly being bombarded with advertising uh, to get us to spend more money on our lifestyles. And in particular, she says, in an article that she wrote called Marketing to Children, uh, she writes this about advertising um, and how much of it is directed, in fact, to our children these days. She says, advertisers spend hundreds of billions of dollars a year worldwide encouraging, persuading and manipulating people into a consumer lifestyle that has devastating consequences for the environment through its extravagance and wastefulness. Advertising exploits individual securities, it creates false needs and offers counterfeit solutions. It fosters dissatisfaction that leads to consumption. Children, she writes, are particularly vulnerable to this sort of manipulation. Young children are increasingly the target of advertising and marketing because of the amount of money that they spend themselves and because of the influence that they have on their parents' spending, the nag factor, and because of the money that they will spend when they grow up. And she says, whilst this child-targeted marketing used to concentrate on lollies and toys, it now includes clothes, shoes, 
a range of fast foods, sports equipment, computer products, toiletries, as well as adult products such as cars and credit cards. Such is the influence, um, the pervasive influence of advertising, which is why we need more Christians in our advertising industries. Um, we are bombarded with temptations uh, to, to live the lifestyle that we want to live, the lifestyle as much as we can of, rich, of riches and, and, and um, it's very tempting. Well, defining ourselves by our wealth, our lifestyles, is foolish, Jesus said. And in his story, the rich, the rich fool, he says that the rich man was a fool because firstly, he felt a false sense of security based on his wealth. Now, that was what gave him security. I read a funny story once about um, a man who uh, was visited by an angel, um, you know, before he died. And the man says to the angel, uh, I want to take something to heaven with me because he wants to take some of his wealth with him. And the angel says, no, I can't do this and you can't do that. And um, the man says, oh, please, 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 you know, can I can I please bring just, just something? And, and so the angel says, all right, you can bring one suitcase to heaven with you. And so the man arrives at the pearly gates with his suitcase. And um, uh, anyway, the, the angel at the gate says, oh, you can't bring that in there. And he says, no, I've got special, I've got special permission to bring in the suitcase. And uh, the angel says, well, you better open it up so I can see what's in there. And he opens it up and the man has brought gold bars uh, because, of course, he, he thinks that... Um, in heaven, money, you know, money will do the same as it did on earth. And anyway, the angel at the gate looks into the suitcase and sees the gold bars and he says to him, you brought pavement <laughs> because, of course, in heaven uh, the streets are paved with gold um, and money is not the currency of heaven. So Jesus says that the man was a fool because he felt a sense of security which was entirely based on a currency which meant nothing in heaven. Secondly, the man was a fool because he had no long-term strategy. It may seem long-term to plan for five years, 10 years, 20 years down the track, but he wasn't planning for the longer term of eternity. He was only planning uh, for this life and not for the next. Uh, Haddon Robinson, great American preacher, he talked about a story of, of a man who had a servant, um, a servant who was very dumb. And so one day this, this wealthy man gave his servant a, a staff, a rod, and he says, you know, you're the dumbest person I've ever met. I want you to keep this staff. And if you ever meet anyone that is dumber than you, you give them the staff. Anyway, so this, this man never met anyone else, the servant, he never met anyone else, so he kept the staff for a long time. And then years later, um, the wealthy old man was dying and uh, he, he, he asked his servant to come and spend some time with him and he said to his servant, um, now, master has to go away, um, I have to go away to a faraway place um, and, and I won't be able to come back. And uh, I'm very sad about that because I'm, I'm not sure what it's going to be like. And, and the servant says to his master, Master, um, you're going somewhere, it's far away, and you're going to be there for a very long time. And the master says, yes, that's right. 
and uh, and could you have prepared? Like, could you pack your bag? Could you be prepared for this place? Could you have prepared to go to this faraway place? And the master says, yes, I suppose I could have better prepared to be going away to this faraway place. And, of course, he's talking about his death. He's very sick. And uh, the servant looks at him and he says, so you're going away to a faraway place for a very long time, you could have prepared to go there, but in fact you haven't done any preparation for going there. And the master says yes. And so the servant hands him his staff and says, I finally met someone that is dumber than myself. So Jesus is saying that this man was a fool because his long-term strategy was not long enough. Um, our, well, you know, we're built for eternity and God wants us to make choices, uh, not just about money, but about many other things based on this eternity, not just a five-year plan or a 10-year financial plan or something, but an eternal plan, a long-sighted plan for our lives. And thirdly, Jesus says the man is a fool because his focus on himself, um, storing his wealth into barns and so on, his focus on himself resulted in him becoming greedy. And because we become what it is that we most focus on, we become what we worship is another way to put it. And this man had worshipped his wealth. Well, how can we, men and women, avoid a similar fate? How can we arrive at God's doorstep, uh, like the people in these stories, with as much confidence about our reception there as we have confidence in this life because of our plans and the way we manage our lives? How can we take the truth that we know about money and turn it into something practical for us? I want to suggest three things, three simple things, the ABCs, if you like, the ABCs um, of how we ought to uh, deal with our money. And remembering this, that money is not evil. Money is completely neutral. It's not good, it's not bad. Um, it's a neutral thing with which we can do good things or we can do dumb things. Um, so we ought to manage it well and think about how, how we use it. We ought to think about how it might be useful for eternity somehow. Uh, maybe we can't take it with us, but we can help it to form our character, a good character. Um, how can we manage it more intentionally? How can we loosen our our service of it and make it serve us instead. Well, here are three things. The ABC, if you like, of wealth wisdom. A. A stands for I think we all need to develop an attitude to wealth. Uh, not, you know, we might, we might find it awkward to talk about, but let's think about it a lot more intentionally. Let's work on our thinking, work on our attitude, develop our attitude. And the way to develop it, apart from the bad influences, um, the tempting influences to spend, spend, spend and to look after ourselves, the way to develop a godly attitude about wealth is to look to God's word, which has so much in it about wealth. Um, there, is, there is so much wisdom about wealth in the Bible. For example, um, 
uh, Matthew 6 talks about how we ought to be generous and we ought to be generous in an anonymous way. Uh, Mark 12 talks about um, making a sacrifice. Galatians 2, remembering the poor. Um, Jesus said that when we, you know, when we give to someone in need, we are giving to God and he remembers it. Um, uh, Luke 6, give without expectation of return. Luke 8, support specific missions. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, respond to crises in our world. Uh, Philippians 4 encourages us to fund uh, some great pioneering enterprise. So, you know, there's so much that is written about wealth. Um, There's so much that is written that is wise about wealth in God's word that can guide us well. Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough money. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. There is so much wisdom in God's word about uh, about how to use money wisely. So A stands for develop the right attitude. Um, read God's word and help it to lead you to wisdom. B, be balanced. And by that I mean like we are constantly bombarded with advertising and it's like uh, every web platform has been monetized, whether we're talking about Facebook or YouTube, uh, whether we're talking about radio or TV, uh, magazines, local newspapers, which have page and page and pages and pages, which are just advertising. So B stands for be balanced. Um, we, We can't stop some of that coming at us, but we can balance our lives with things that block that advertising out. Um, So friends, gardening, hiking, making a habit of coming to church and hearing a different narrative each week about about what we do with our money, reading scripture, all of those things, we need to introduce things that balance the voices that tell us spend, 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 and that we are the most important thing and that other people don't matter as much. Um, C, cultivate charity. One, One of the biggest messages of God's word is an encouragement for us to be generous to others and to use um, to use our money with an attitude that actually it's God's. He, you know, it's all of God's. It's out of His grace that He's given it to us. And if He can be so gracious to us, then we can be gracious to others who need it as well. So cultivate charity. Practice being generous. Um, do it. Make it a habit because if the thing, the behaviours we repeat become habits and habits form our character. And so it is by being generous that we go down the path um, of godliness, um, generosity, uh, um, rather than going down that pathway of uh, foolish selfishness and greed. So I don't know what that looks like, but, you know, we, we lots of us make five and ten year plans when it comes to our money, but why not make a five or ten or twenty year plan even longer that relates to generosity. Maybe it is that you have an ambition that by the age of whatever, you will have helped five people in life or you will have built an orphanage in India or, you know, you will have helped um, helped a church in some way build a new building or you will have started your own charity. You know, like the, why not have ambitious plans about that? Why not cultivate um, that godly attitude of generosity um, in our own lives. And finally, because I've talked long enough, I just want to say, finally consider God. 
um, who stepped down from um, his amazing lifestyle, his amazing wealth in heaven, stepped down onto earth. He who was rich became poor in a sense. Scripture says he became poor in order that we might be lifted up to heaven. He became poor that we might be rich, that we might be blessed in every way. He sets the model for us. Uh, He shows us uh, what generosity can achieve in the lives of others, what generosity can achieve in this world. And if we put our trust in him, we will uh, live lives that aren't called foolish, aren't called greedy, but are You know, we'll live lives where God says when we arrive on his doorstep, well done, well done, good and faithful service. We will flourish when we put our trust in him and follow his son and his ways. Thank you for listening.